Podtron. This podcast is part of the Podtron Podcast Network. For more, visit podtron.wordpress.com and Podtron Network on Twitter and Facebook. This was Rad. I'm Paul. You don't know my artistic vision! I am Greg. I want to remake Friday the 13th, but it's all underwater and it all stars sharks. Where two guys force themselves to watch movies from the 80s. Hey, have you seen Vision Quest? I sure haven't. Hell no! Alright, let's talk about it. The only thing that's missing is America built a wall. There has to be someone from Ford who went down and went, So, um, what, what happened here, Bob? It's a movie called Red Dawn. Wink, wink. Wink, wink. <laughs> I'm going to start this again, and you're going to edit this out. And this is another episode of This Was Rad Podcast, the podcast where two guys from there... Ooh, Greg, it's getting close. I got to tell you, after this year, a uh, couple more years, if if we get there, it will be no longer two guys in their 30s. Uh, no, no. The audience should have a little forewarning. Um, birthday gifts are accepted. If, you, if you're if so inclined, yeah. throw us a message. I'll, I'll give you that, that address. But I am Paul. I'm Greg. And we uh, we watch 80s movies, strictly from 1980 to 1990, really because I think at this point we could just admit we wanted to do Ninja Turtles, and there was no other way to do it. Uh, yeah, but, you know, uh, again, throw us throw us a little... Um, if you, if you want to buy Paul and I a DVD that is uh, outside of those years, but we, we think it is it falls within sort of the... It falls within the spirit of the podcast. I, I, I think we could possibly make an exception. I think that would be okay. I'm okay with that. I, I would, I would, I would venture to get up to like mid nineties. I think anything past mid nineties yes. is gonna be kind of pushing the whole idea of nostalgia. Um, you know, it's uh, at least for me. You know, I think after two thousand one, when I have a child, I don't think I can say it's any it's nostalgia anymore. At that uh, point, yeah, well, I would, I would, I would agree. I think, I think for me, about two thousand is probably the cutoff. Yeah, no, no, that's that's a good one too. Yeah, that's a good one too. So anyway, this is this was this was Rad Podcast, and this week we are doing uh, I perfectly honest a movie I didn't think we would ever do. Very outside the box, we did Stanley Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket. Ah, Greg, what yes. what can be said about this film that hasn't been said before? Well, not. Not a lot. Uh, we actually we were talking about this beforehand, and we both agreed to not bother with any trivia except one thing that I found out that you didn't know either, which is this film was shot entirely in England. I was amazed. I'm shocked by that. I am legitimately shocked by that because I did actually think, man, this this looks really good. And I mean, the Vietnam War really did only end like five years before they started filming this, so. I was kind of thinking, well, maybe if they just found, like, uh, I think, what did you say, uh, Asian country nondescript, 
you know, they yeah. just found a location. Although after the last couple movies we've been watching, I did start to think, well, they probably just filmed this in South L.A. because that's that's where you go when you need to be in uh, <laughs> in South America and or Asia. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, um, uh, uh, Kubrick, I believe, notoriously hated traveling and never wanted to shoot on location. Um, well, well, I say on location, meaning like outside of England. He was all like, that's it. And so they just mm-hmm. imported everything. All those plants and stuff, those were just imported from from Asia. That's crazy. That's yeah, really crazy. Yeah. No, that's so... that's that. Uh, Kubrick, though, is kind of like that classic director when you think of a director who's like crazy and everything has to be his way and that's the end of it and he makes these crazy crazy demands and that's that's kind of Kubrick was very much like that where you hear stories of him like making someone do a hundred takes of a line and the line is not even you know the line is just like hello how are you and he just makes them do it a hundred times <laughs> like he was a very weird dude um well like but, we talked uh, about uh well like we talked about in the shining like he terrorized Shelley Duvall to eventually oh, yeah. get her to crack. I have to assume he did the same thing to Vincent D'Onofrio. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. So, so that being said, what we really wanted to get into was doing what we do best, which is take this film, figure out what the filmmakers were actually thinking about, do some funny bits. I have a very big question about uh, Eileen Ermey's hat that I think needs to be answered. And, um, <laughs> and that's about it. Um, what do I remember about this movie? Um, I watch this movie a lot. It's, you know, when you talk about a director's movie, you know, whenever you talk about that Criterion Collection or, or any of that mm-hmm. stuff, this movie is just so classic that it's it's supposed to be a movie that's watched for its substance and its gravitas. Um, right. And so, when, yeah, I mean, I definitely watched it because of that. I probably watched it the first time when I was probably in junior high. Um, I don't think this is a movie I really watched in the 80s because I don't remember it being on TV at all. Um, oh, I never remember this film ever being on television. No, neither do I. Um, I do remember, I will give a little bit of trivia, I know most of the lines from this movie because Howard Stern used to play them in, in the audio clips oh, in between yeah. bits and then Opie and Anthony took over at one point too. And they did a, I think it was Howard who did a fantastic bit where he took all of Eileen Ermey's lines and he put them in a in a Casio keyboard, or some oh, guy Jesus. did, and he played it. And what, he, that, what sound, the, that sounds like a Fred move. What the guy would do is he would call people <laughs> randomly, like a Frank call, like he'd call a hardware store. Oh yeah. Like, oh, this is Frank's hardware. <laughs> what can I do? What's your problem, fat buddy? <laughs> can we can we have a moment of silence for the? The heyday of the soundboard prank <laughs> phone call yes, we can. that exploded yes. in like the late nineties when when all oh, of a sudden people so figured out, oh hey wait a minute with Flash, I can just yes. make anything I want and oh man those were some of those are some of the best remembered prank phone calls like the classic ones are all the Arnold Schwarzenegger yes soundboard yeah, prank phone calls yes. oh yeah. man those were great so um a uh, little bit of fun for the audience uh. I got so into it because I was a big Opie and Anthony fan, um, and they used to do sound bits all the time. So what I did is I, at work, I made my own soundboard, and oh, nice. I would play them very loud. Uh, t- so each person in the office had their own sound effect. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and one guy came up to me. I remember this guy. His name is Scott, and he comes up to me, and his was, uh, 
His was a horse neighing because it used okay. to nag me all the time about getting something done. So it would just be, and he comes up to me and he, and he sees me reach for my mouse. He goes, I swear to God, you play that goddamn sound effect. I'm going to punch you. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> he asked me his question. And then as he walked away, <laughs> nice. It was so good. Uh, oh, I miss, I miss the soundboard. Prank it was phone so call. I really, really well, do. And it, you proposed a you, you proposed a moment of silence. Let's give it uh, let's give it a five second. Okay, uh, here we go. Uh, and that's actually going to sound like half a second once Audacity cuts out random silence. So that's and that's uh, that's great podcasting doing a moment of silence <laughs> for something incredibly trivial. That's what a what a great bit that was. Clearly well thought out ahead of time. Um, <laughs> Greg, Greg, what do you I'm, remember about this? Movie? What do I remember? Well, first of all, I'm going to say interestingly enough, uh, Kubrick and the Criterion Collection. Uh, this is not on there. Um, you've got you've got the killing, Paths of Glory, Spartacus, Doctor Strange, Love, and Barry Lyndon. Those are his 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 Criterion Collection films. Weirdly, not two thousand one. I feel like that would be, but eh, whatever. So, what do I remember about this movie? This was one of those movies that is difficult to explain how pervasive this was through like the Howard Stern era and sort of like like a uh, uh, like referential. Um, media. This this movie. It would be like if somebody today had never seen the first Star Wars movie. Yes. And was like and was like forty, and they sat down and watched it, and I imagine their heads would just blow up because they'd be like, "Oh, this is like five thousand references I've never understood." Yes. Yes. Like and and this, yeah. this is one of those exactly. movies in the nineties. It was like every morning zoo radio. You know, yes. aside from Howard Stern, in their bumpers would play like what's your major malfunction or you know like they would they would they would play some clip from this 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 was everywhere in the sort of mid to late 90s and i i am with you especially the first 45 minutes of this movie where it's boot camp like it's so quotable uh, that movie Almost every it's line. like i don't think i forgot any scene in that first 45 minutes no. i think i think nope. this is the first movie we've watched where for 45 minutes i did not go Oh yeah, I was just like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. I know what happens next. Like I beat for beat. Afterwards, there was about 40 minutes I forgot was in this movie. <laughs> we'll get to that. Okay. But, um but yeah, yeah. I I the first 40 45 I can do like front to back, back to front, you name it. And um, you know, uh, after it I can give you the basic plot structure and all that stuff. So outside of the first 45, what do I remember for the highlights? I remember that whole sniper section that's kind of the back half of the film. Yep. Uh, I always yep. remember um, the dead guy they have just hanging out with them. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Like when the when Joker and uh, Rafter Man show up. I always remember the line, this is a shit sandwich and we're all going to have to take a bite. Yeah. I always remember that. And... Um, yeah, out of the back half. Uh, oh, and I always remember the the general yelling at Joker about why does it say "born to kill" and you have a peace sign, and he doesn't he doesn't know what I'm I'm trying to say something about the duality of man, and he doesn't know what that means. Uh, yeah, that's 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 basically it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of yeah. I didn't get into like what I remember much. Be I mean, only because this is a movie that you know, and we kind of already talked about that a bit. Is it's a big movie. I mean, it's. This is just a movie that everybody, almost everybody, you know, rock people exist and they haven't watched it. But um, it, it's a huge, huge movie in it. And it is so pervasive in, in like you said, pop culture. Um, 
you know, it's so big. I mean, Eileen Ermey, you know, who plays the drill instructor. I mean, he just he made a career off of this. I was this I was about thing. to say, and it's a big with, one. Without this role, Arlie Ermey, I cannot imagine goes on to. He doesn't. I. I would say never goes on to stage and screen, but if, even if he did afterwards, he certainly would not be as well received or or remembered as this. No, never, never. I mean, uh, he does kind of end up playing this character every time, but that's yeah, okay the because they kind of fit it into each scene. I remember a movie he did where he he played like a dad, and and he was just screaming at like this boyfriend, but you kind of like, eh. I mean. He should be telling him to give to do twenty five push ups, but I kind of get while he's saying you're not, you know, you will. <laughs> I think the line was like, "You will not penetrate my daughter after eleven p.m." or something like that. I just remember being like, "Yeah, yeah, that's a drill instructor line." Yes, yeah, that's about right. Yeah, that sounds about right. So, um, a lot of people are in this movie. As a matter of fact, uh, there's there's people that I totally forgot are in this movie, um, that I saw. So, um, such as Adam Baldwin. Of of Firefly fame, I'm sure he's in other great stuff, but uh, that's what I remember yeah, him from. I I completely forgot he was in this movie. Yeah, I'm I, I'm I'm right there with you. I can assure you, I, every time I have watched this movie and he appears on screen, I'm like, oh yeah, he's in this too. But we've got uh, we've got this was rad alum uh, Matthew Modine. Yep, back again. Yep. Uh, uh from Vision Quest. Uh, have we done a movie with Vincent D'Onofrio? I don't think we have. Yeah. Uh, oh, Adventures no. in Babysitting. Adventures in Babysitting. Which has trivia connected to this movie that we won't go into. Look it up yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead and do <laughs> do whatever you want. It's fine. Do your um, own research for once, folks. That's what yeah. I say. Let's let's tell our audience what to do. <laughs> I, I you know, I, I, not I, enough people, podcasts do that. <laughs> yeah, people love that. Um, and uh, without going into everybody, basically, this movie has a ton of sort of character so actors in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the exception of, like, Matthew Modine and probably Vincent D'Onofrio, um, everyone, it, there, there were many people in this movie, I'm like, oh, yeah, I've seen I've seen this person in other things, yep. and, and here and there. Like, I know uh, Private Cowboy is played by a guy named Arliss Howard. You can look up his movies. Guy's still working today. He's, he's uh, consistently yep. working you know, like crazy. The guy, um, so, uh, the guy who played eight ball. He's been in tons of TV roles. Um, yeah. I know yeah. I've seen him plenty of times. Dorian uh, Harewood is his name. So why don't we just go ahead and kick it off and let's get into the, uh, USMC movie. That is full metal jacket. And, uh, it moves into, so first of all, it's a, it, it, this is our second Stanley Kubrick movie. Um, after The Shining, I believe. We haven't done any yeah, others, that's, right? That's correct. No. Okay, go. We have not. Um, so, I was really struggling as to what we were going to get into this movie with. Because, like we've just been talking, it's a pretty big movie. A lot of people know it. Um, so, I, we'll just go through some of it. I have some notes and some stuff that are really just important questions that I wanted to pose to you, Greg. I hope you have some stuff mm -hmm. for me. Um, okay. But, obviously, it starts out with what is just, I think, one of the most amazing opening scenes i know we've talked about about the opening from halloween and and things like this but the first person we see on on camera is eileen ermy if i'm correct right no we open up with a a montage of people getting their head shaved oh yes that's right yes that's 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 your credits and i have to say pretty effective because it, it, you're literally seeing every character get transformed immediately where it's like here's what they used to look like 
Now their heads are shaved. Bam, here's Arlie Ermy. It's it's like, it's great. Okay, I, I did actually have a question for the hair. I did have a question. You've been cast. You're going to be Private Cowboy. You've got this role. Your first scene ever is you getting your head shaved. Because I feel yeah. like Stanley Kubrick would, would film scene for scene. That's a good point. I don't know if this was filmed no, no. in order or not, and I'm not going to look it up. No, don't look it up because I want to ask the question. You, you've been cast as Private Cowboy. Your head's being shaved, and you giggle. That's the only take they get. <laughs> you're no longer Private Cowboy. Nope, you're, nope, you're, you're fired. You're No, you're private in the background. <laughs> yep. And we've cast somebody else. Did Stanley Kubrick have a list of people he would have to go through if they giggled on camera? I, uh, what I, what I like to think is this movie took two and a half years to film because he would, he shaved everybody's head, stopped filming till it grew back. They shaved them again. They just, he just did this like three times until he finally got it right. And then filming actually began. The first, no, no, no he filmed it once when they started, once when they finished filming. And then once a year later, just to right. get the right, oh, just, just to make sure. Oh, that's, that, you that's know, that so much better. The mise-en-scene was just, you know. Perfect, you know. No, no, that's how it did not forward right. Come back right. in six months. <laughs> yep. No, we got it. We got it. Got to do the whole thing again. A uh, little piece stuck to his nose. Takes ruined. It's all. all it's of gone. Them. But it's not just that guy. It's everybody. Oh, all no, fourteen Kubrick's people. All or nothing. All, <laughs> all of them. fourteen whole days people. ruined. You do the whole thing over again. He started filming in 1972. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He started filming during Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> he did. Yes. It was supposed to be a documentary, but he just couldn't get past that one scene. He just, he couldn't, no, he couldn't, he couldn't do so, it. So then we, and then we open up to Eileen Ermy, who does just an amazing job. It's super quotable. I, I can't even get into all of it. Um, but I, the one thing that, it's interesting, I feel like he gives away parts of his personality be, in this, because at one point, he does claim that he lives with his sister. Right. <laughs> because he tells the guy, you can come over to my house and bang my sister. And I was like, right. How much do you get paid as a drill instructor? <laughs> Not much, I guess. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, if anyone knows, uh, add us. What's the <laughs> what, what, what was the salary for a drill instructor during Vietnam? Because he see, I, I just found that adjusted adjusted for inflation. Please. Of course, yes. Uh, I just found it very odd that he, you know, he was proposing that someone come over. I what if somebody pro said, okay. I'll do that. Do you think? Do you think Private Joker? There's a cut scene after he goes home to Vietnam and he just knocks on Arlie Ermy's house, <laughs> He's like taking you up on that offer. Well, no, he died, as we find out later. But oh, that's well, well, no, no, I, no, I assumed no, no. the that uh, that uh, that, that was ri written home in a letter, and the sister opens the door. I'm taking, I'm taking home. your brother's offer. Yeah, what do you think? Hi, uh, uh, my name is uh, Private. Uh, something or other they call me joker anyway um <laughs> i was in joker a because there we go i was in a i was in boot camp with your brother yeah he was a mm -hmm. drill instructor and uh, right anyway yes, yes. he um, god rest his soul yes yes god rest his soul i was uh it was very tragic very tragic um anyway he made a uh he made a proposal that i kind of took him up on um mm -hmm. it kind of involved right. you um uh-huh i hope he did he mention anything about that in any of his letters in any of his yeah, actually, know? I had you penciled in that you should have been here uh, about two years ago, because that's when your deployment ended. Ah, what took you so long? Oh, you know what happened? I got a case of the Vietnamese measles, is uh, what we're going to call that. But, but, took some you pills. Can't, you can't even give blood now that you've had the I Vietnamese can't. measles. I can't. That's, I can't. But wow. you, I'll tell you what I can give, uh, <laughs> is a little dose of me. 
So, uh, what? How do we? Uh, how do you want to go about this? Five dollars? Five dollars? <laughs> Come on! What do you think this is? Vietnam? Come on! This is this is hardworking Americans here. We get we get paid an American wage. Come on now. Okay. Uh, it's still the sixties. Uh, fifteen dollars. Hmm. Fifteen dollars. Well, I can buy myself a brand new Ford back in uh, nineteen seventy five with a uh, with fifteen dollars. So yeah, I think that sounds very fair. Let's do it. Wait a second. You said I was penciled in. How many are on your calendar? Oh, every every single person you've been in uh, the army with. I had to cross a lot of people out. Not many made it back, though. I got to be honest. You walk funny, don't you? <laughs> I don't walk at all. <laughs> <laughs> I had to cross a lot of people off. God, what a what a dark joke. Yeah, we. I like I that though. <laughs> <laughs> what a very dark joke, Mister Gregory. Uh, to my wheelhouse. <laughs> so good. Right in the old. <laughs> I just gotta. I gotta give it up. Where oh, that was good. You caught me off guard. I didn't even. Anyway, um, anyway, Eileen Ermy does this incredible thing. Um, I, I mean, I wrote down notes as they go through the the training camp. I don't know what you kind of want to talk about it. I mean, um, I, I think we can, we can, sadly, this is going to be one of those movies where, like, the first 45 minutes, I'm going to assume almost everyone who's listened to this has seen it. But if you haven't, here's the gist of it. Uh, we slowly are introduced to only three characters. Uh, Private Joker, Private Cowboy, and Private Pile. That's, that's, that's Vincent D'Onofrio. Outside, yes, outside um, of, um... And, and uh, Matthew Modine and, is Private Joker, and Private Cowboy is someone whose name that I can't remember at the moment. Yeah. So... Uh, Private Cowboy doesn't really do anything until they actually get to Vietnam, so we can kind of ignore him completely. Yeah. Uh, uh, Private Joker, Matthew Modine's character, uh, shows himself to be kind of a bit of a capable, uh, I don't know, I guess uh, leader? Because he winds up being the, the platoon leader, right? He winds up, he winds he up getting does. a promotion after he, he refuses to change his answer, even though he's getting slapped in the face. By, yeah. by Arlie Ermey. Uh, and then you and then you also have what really this 40 minutes is about is what happened to the kids who got drafted and just could not hack it. You know, what's what's kind of the worst case scenario? And that's Vincent D'Onofrio's character, Private Pyle, who he just he cannot do anything right. And Arlie Ermey goes out of his way to constantly draw attention to how bad he's screwing up. Now, interestingly enough, now, facts... That we didn't we didn't want to talk about movies facts about this, but what I did do is I looked up some interesting facts of other things throughout the movie. Such These are as, way more interesting, so let, let's go with this. Such as the movie never explicitly says that they're drafted, and the United States Marines of all four branches was the least likely to get draftees since they are supposed to be you know the best of the best kind of deal. Um, I believe. Because he mentions uh, Whitman, Charles Whitman, at one point, that yes. the movie takes place after 1966, which yep. the Marines didn't even start drafting until the late 60s. So okay. it's actually possible that they're not even draftees. They're enlisted. They're enlistees, um, yeah. Especially Pyle. Because like even during the haircutting scene, he's got a smile on his face. He can't stop giggling when Eileen Ermey is is like picking on him from the very first minute, which I think is just hilarious. I love that Vincent D'Onofrio, the character, is laughing. I wish he had kind of laughed through all of it, but not in a <laughs> maniacal way, like like in a clown kind of way, you know? Yeah. So it's interesting that you say that, that the draftees, 
I almost feel like they they kind of enlisted or at least chose to go there if they were drafted, which is how that worked. Okay. Um, but in either either case, they they are beat up a little bit harder than what you would expect. I think Pyle, man, I don't know what I'm supposed to get of that character. He it, it, he comes across like he's dumb, like he's really really stupid, but almost like too much so. Like at one point, yeah. Matthew Modine is like dressing him like he's physically doing his right. buttons and i'm like and teaching him how to how to lace shoelaces which i feel like you probably already knew like i'm like a, okay okay serious question is there a special way the marines lace their boots uh yes yes it's called the under birdie over birdie oh, method that's okay okay yeah. well you know what Shame on me. That's 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 my yeah. problem. I mean, everybody knows about the bunny and the butterfly. Um, but the, the under over birdie is uh it's how they do it. It's it's okay. a little bit different. Um I just got the feeling like is he supposed to be a seven year old trapped in a man's body, or is he I, I don't know. It comes across very weird how that all transitions. That's why I just kept asking, like, is Pyle really this stupid? Um, throughout yeah, most some of this. I, you know, while while you, you bring it up, um, a lot of this movie played like a comedy now. Like Almost, when, yes. When, like, yes. when, when, when uh, Gunnery Sergeant Hartman is like yelling at people, I imagine that, 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 that probably some of it was supposed to be funny and whatnot, but I imagine it was supposed to be kind of like scary and, yeah. and, and, like, <laughs> and like, oh my God, look at this man just dehumanizing everybody. And it, now... It's just like hilarious. I think <laughs> like it's that, it's weird. It's definitely that's because of like we just said because we've heard all these lines so many times. Yeah, definitely not, desensitization has, has has been kicked in for you and me. I think that's what's happened. Um, however, um, Hartman uh, is very. Did you really guess that the thing that he hates most in life is an unlocked Footlocker? No, I would have put that. Far lower on the <laughs> right. list. Could, but that's what he says. We have to take him at his word. I did say, I wrote down, can we come up with 10 things that he would hate more than a footlocker unlocked? Um, I am I mean, I would like to guess somewhere in the neighborhood of a of an unclean uniform. Um, potentially uh, a, 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 I would have, yeah. Just about anything, Maybe. wouldn't it? Okay, seriously, I, I would, number one would be like, like a quitter. <laughs> maybe <laughs> or or uh well we know he hates atheists <laughs> yeah, he does. um right. or well well I, I should just say anyone who doesn't believe in the virgin mary <laughs> that's 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 protestants that's a whole bunch of people so um maybe that's maybe that's too many people to hate yeah footlocker would not have guessed <laughs> you know what i hate atheists an uncleaned gun deer who poop in my front yard and you know what really rustles my old jimmy's an unlocked footlocker pile. Unlocked <laughs> I I like to think if we had delved deeper into that, there's there's a story <laughs> about how the unlocked footlocker was the undoing of someone. And I really want to know, and we Do never you... will, but I'm No no curious. no. I think we try. I think he had a brother. Okay. We know he has a sister. Right. Who's, that's true. So it's the it stand, stands to reason who's doing her, more than who's doing her best for the troops. Especially back in the back in the '60s, you know, yeah. big families not that not that uncommon. So I think his brother locked himself in a footlocker. Ooh. Okay. And the lock was unlocked, and Hartman went in there and he locked it, and then his brother couldn't get out, 
and I made him mad. It's, you know, maybe shopping think, this live was not the best idea after. I think you're halfway there. <laughs> I think the brother got out because he didn't lock it, and he hated that brother. Oh! So if he had locked it, that brother would have died, a la that classic story of the, the bride playing hide-and-seek on her wedding day, hides in a a a, uh, a chest, yeah. is is never found until years later, just just a skeleton. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think he was going for that kind of move. So maybe that's why. It always reminds him of his brother. And how and much His he... brother's probably super, Although... like, super, super, uh, like, uh, successful, and he just hates it. He just can't stand it. And he's like, oh, unlock Footlocker. It always reminds me of my super successful, like, fat cat Wall Street <laughs> draft dodging brother of mine. You know what I hate more than anything, pile? People who succeed against all odds. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I, would, I, I also would have loved a scene where he starts yelling about <laughs> things that he hates, and it gets a little too specific and reveals a little too much about about Gunnery Sarjar. <laughs> Kind of like what you were just doing. He's like, an unlocked footlocker that winds up being the catalyst for uh, for a brother who becomes so successful, you're constantly asked why you're wasting your life in the Marines. Pyle, is that a hangnail? You know I hate anything more than a hangnail, which can lead to some sort of disease that slowly takes your fiancé's life when you're just trying to get through the trenches of world nor Korea war. Is that a goddamn donut? <laughs> Everybody, uh, start running laps. <laughs> She's just crying in the corner. <laughs> wow, did uh, you see Hartman? He really does not like hangnails. Got her such a Hartman. I, whatever his title is. It's fine. It's fine. Anyway. Um, so, so yes, anyway, the yeah. The I footlockers mean, of death. So. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Or does oh. he just hate a trendy store for upscaled, oh, overpriced there we go. athletic wear? I think I think that's no no he hates an unlocked footlocker <laughs> because if it's unlocked you can just go right in when there's nobody there and want. take whatever you want and that's that's yeah and if you own a business that's a responsibility <laughs> and if you're not responsible well what kind of person are you do you think he had a footlocker and it got broken into th- and he had to go back to the marines as back a drill to, sergeant back, back back to the military he was working for his brother and his brother was like I'm gonna give you one last chance. You can manage the footlocker yeah. and screwed up. He didn't lock you it. Do it. And so now every time he sees the unlocked footlocker, it's just his failure again. Again and again and again. Oh. We cracked it. We cracked it. Case closed. Case close. We're done. Oof. <laughs> I can't wait to see the prequel we're gonna write before so. Full Metal Jacket. It's just about a family kind of collapsing in on themselves due I, to pettiness and I I, I, you know, I like Yeah, it. it's great. Um so as it goes on, uh, so Pyle, he has a donut. This is what leads to a... This is where the movie finally takes a little bit of a darker tone. Um, and it's done very well because I will say Kubrick uses music in this movie so well. Whether it's a, a poppy 1960s song or just the orchestral music, um, he goes into like that dark tone with like lots of oboes and tubas. And it just... like. Every time that music would start, I, I really did kind of get like a resonance in me, like, oh, nothing good is about to happen. And they do, they do, you know, you see, you kind of see Pyle, he's floundering, and then Joker is like trying to, trying to get him to do his thing, and then you can tell he's not, he's not doing so great. And then, and then he actually does okay for a little while, like, like you can see him, he's starting to do all right, 
and then it's when they find the jelly donut and the Hartman sees the unlocked footlocker, sees yeah. the jelly donut, and he says, okay, that's it. I'm punishing everybody now, yeah. except you, because I've tried punishing you and it's doing nothing. Right. And that's when they all take the soap in the... Bl- in the in the uh, uh, soap party, yes. Soap soap in the towel. And they 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 all beat him with the soap, and that's when he just cracks. Yep. And Private Joker is just watching a man slowly lose his mind. Now I gotta say, Pyle, you made it to graduation. You literally decide to go cuckoo bananas the night after graduation, right? It's it's he graduated. He marched in the parade and everything. Well. Yeah, and I think what it, um, I think what happened is the realization that weight comes down on him. He changed. He did his best. Um, even you know, uh, Hartman there was try- was starting to get on his good side because he was a crack shot. You know, and he says at one right, point, yeah, you know, yeah. I think you could be one of my riflemen. And I think at that point, I think I think if Pyle had become a rifleman, I don't think he would have cracked. I think he would have said, okay, I I did it. I made it through. He still would have eventually gone insane in Vietnam. Um, that kind of psyche just doesn't fix itself entirely. But I think the fact that he he worked as hard as he did and still didn't get it, that's where he kind of had that break. At least that's the way it, it was for me. Um, okay. You're right. He does go through all the, the graduation and everything else. And then uh, he's in the bathroom. He's got the he's got the gun. It's great scene. He does the, the speech there. Now, this is where my question about hats came in. Okay. When, uh, as soon as Joker goes and, and says something's going on, he shouts and wakes everybody up, right? Or Pyle starts shouting. Yep. Hartman comes out. He's got his boxer shorts on. He's got a cut-off sweatshirt and his hat. Yeah. He came out of that room very quickly. Now, my two posits are this. Number one, he sleeps standing up. Okay. Like, like, like a cone head. Yes. I like that. Yeah. Or... <laughs> Or his bed has a cut in it where the hat's brim... Where the hat goes. ...would sit in it. And he sleeps like... What does Greg think? <laughs> I don't think he sleeps. I think no, I think something... I think something... I think something's going on and he just goes in that room and he just like stares at a picture or something and just gets the hate back up. Maybe, maybe it's an unlocked footlocker and he just stares at it for eight <laughs> hours and then he gets out of that room. I think it's yeah. No, I think it would be the opposite. I think that room is full of plush animals, and it's the only oh, place okay. he could go to feel comfort. I like that, and is because he knows as soon as he leaves the threshold of that door, it's it's game it's game back face. on. It's game, game face, face back. Back. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. And then uh, so, and then uh, Pyle shoots him. <laughs> Pyle shoots Hartman. Pyle shoots himself, and then bam, we're in Vietnam with yeah. Private Joker, who uh, who much too gunnery. <laughs> Sergeant Hartman's dismay. Joker decided to work for the press. Yeah, the 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 United States military press. Stars uh, and stripes. Yes, the stars and stripes. But still very upset anyway. And so uh, we see Joker is now. He's still kind of a wise cracking you know guy. He's he's writing all these stories and stuff. But uh, the whole press corps where they're at, they've kind of had a pretty cush job. Up until this point, they talk about like a lot of a lot of the guys joke. They're like, oh, you know, you guys have never even seen any action. You've never even been shot at. You know, they they show up when all the all the action is over. You know, when they take they take some war hero shots, you know, and and write up a story that will be guaranteed to make the other troops feel good. And that's that's what they do. Well, you know what? When I say war movie, what I always think is a good riveting 10 minute scene over 
copy edits right. um, in real time. I feel like that's what really draws an audience in, uh, in into the story is a story about stories. You know, like, right. uh, like J.J. Exactly Jameson right. yelling at Peter Parker for 20 minutes. Like, that's a good Spider-Man movie. You know, yeah. none of that action stuff. That's just... No, 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 no. Um, none of that. I don't... I, I didn't really... First of all, the when they first cut to Vietnam, there's a scene with, you know, with the prostitute. Do you know... I thought about that. There are two Vietnamese prostitute scenes in this movie. Right. One, if not both of them, are completely unneeded. Uh, totally unneeded. But Kubrick really, pardon the pun, had a hard-on for having a Vietnamese <laughs> prostitute in his movie. I'm I'm he- I'm with you. I think the fact that there is not one but two useless prostitute scenes says something. I don't know exactly what it's saying, but well, it's saying something. I think what happened is like we posited, he's filmed this scene for scene. He filmed the first one, and then when he got to later in the movie, he forgot he had filmed it. <laughs> and, and everyone's like, No, Stanley, we we've already we've already done the Buku thing. No, it's we, we already did that. It's you know, five dollars. Everybody, everybody gets that. No, no, I think no, I think we do it one more time. Well, I don't know what he sounds like. I don't know if you do. Uh he was born in New York and then he lived in England, so who knows? Oh, oh, oh okay. Hey, 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 uh, I'm doing, uh, I'm doing the movie here. I got the. Uh, <laughs> here we go. I got the Vietnamese. Uh, I got the uh, prostitutes. Uh, they got the, uh, you know, singity ziggity there. Fara fara. Tubuku tubuku. You know what I'm saying? Uh. <laughs> no, no, Stanley. I really don't. <laughs> His British, his British production assistant. No, Stanley, yeah, yeah. I really haven't got a clue. What, 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 what do you mean? What is a zinger zanger? You keep saying that. I don't know. No, no, no. She got the zinger zanger. She got the zinger zanger. You know, the, the uh, you know, these jabroks here. They, uh, you know, they, they love, these jabronis. Love, they want to do. I, I, from now on, when we do an impression of Stanley Kubrick, it will always be aggressively Italian, <laughs> 1970s New York accent every time, because that is. I don't care what he sounded like. That's what he sounds like. <laughs> Mr. Ermi, yeah, Ali, uh, listen, this is what I'm going to need you to do. I need you to really uh, just uh, sell it to the audience that you are mad. I really need you to sell it that you are mad. <laughs> so mad, mad like uh, somebody gave you some uh, ragu spaghetti sauce with some egg noodles. <laughs> like really mad. I want you to come out of that room. I want you to be so mad at Private Pile. I want it to be like your best friend just slept with your sister. Speaking from experience, you would be quite upset. <laughs> and you go over and you beat the hell out of that pasta fajoule, okay? Oh, I, oh, this is great. This so, is fantastic. So, this is this is this is going in the old the old Rolodex to bring back on a later episode. So, so, so he does. So, and then they have yeah, so they have all, the scene where they're like talking and stuff like that. Yeah, and it's. To, um, to, 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 to speed this along, um, the the base gets under attack, and basically they're said, okay, well, you know what, um, after after the attack goes down, they're like, all right, guys, we, we need to, um, why, they, they don't send them out to fight, but they send them out to, like, they send Joker and Rafter Man to, like, a, a an area that's way more dangerous it's there's there's a lot more fighting in it yeah so joker in in rafter man more than more than joker um keeps saying that they like to see some action joker said he's seen right. some and probably not a lot um but he keeps kind of boasting that you know if we're gonna tell stories we're gonna tell stories of the front line like that's you want hero stories we're gonna find heroes rafter man just wants to shoot his gun more than a camera 
And so the whoever the press corps lead guy is, he's like, you want action? Okay, well, there's action everywhere now that they're really ramping up their attack. It's the Tet Offensive is, um, yeah, which is what yeah, started the- um, January 30th, my, my birthday. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, so 1968. Uh, so what they do is they say, okay, Joker... You're gonna go up to the. You're gonna go up to this ahead location. It shouldn't yeah. be too bad, but you're gonna go up there. And he wants to go because his, he knows Cowboy is there as well. Is stationed right. there. Um, and then Rafterman just kind of. By the way, I didn't realize it was Rafterman. I thought up until the very end of the movie, I thought it was Raptorman. Raptorman's a way cooler name. And I was just thinking, did they even know about Raptors then? I feel like T Rex Man would have been closer. Um, but you know, whatever. Um, so. They kind of get sent up to the front that way. And then once they're there, they kind of get commissioned to do whatever the, the team is doing. And it kind of just escalates from that point forward. But once they get up there, this is where we have um, a scene where he reconnects with Cowboy. Um, this is where we meet Adam Baldwin, who, man, does he love bullets. Like, oh, yeah. I feel like yeah. there weren't enough bullets in Vietnam to cover himself. In. He couldn't. He couldn't get enough bullets. No. So many bullets. More bullets than you can know what to do with. Yeah. So we've we we got this and basically he he follows uh he and, and, and Rafterman follow Cowboy and their squad to uh wherever it is they're going. And it's uh, just basically people just keep getting kind of picked off here and there and you're kind of seeing I'm going to assume this was kind of supposed to kind of encapsulate a lot of the stuff that, that was going on, or at least it was being reported, where, like, you know, someone would see something, they'd go over to it, and it was booby-trapped. It was a bomb, it would blow somebody yeah, yeah, up. Yeah. And then yep. and then when the bomb would go off, all of a sudden people would pop up, and they'd all start shooting at people in this sort of, like, crossfire pattern thing. And um, so it, it's just, you, you see a lot of things, and, and people are, are dying, and it, it turns out enough people wind up dying that Cowboy is now in charge of the squad. Yes, yeah, and and then that's where we get to the sniper scene. Um, I don't know about you, Greg. I mean, I, I don't have a lot of notes, only only because the scene is kind of pretty intense and it's kind of real, and there's not a lot to to make fun no, of. It's and no, I no, no, not really. And I mean, and and also, it's it's so tense. Um, even though I knew what was going on and what was going to wind up happening, I was still really tense. It's a really well done scene. And I mean, we can sum it up super fast. Basically, they uh they send one guy ahead to scout out ball. if it's safe yep. to go through some buildings. He gets shot, and he gets shot like in the leg. Well, and he gets shot a bunch of times. And well, first he just gets shot in the leg, and then they're like, "Oh no, okay, there's a sniper. What are we gonna do?" And then he gets shot again, and and cowboys saying. We can't go save him. This is this is a classic sniper move. They want us to try to rush out into the open to save him, yep. and they're gonna just pick us off one at a time. We can't. I know it's like I know this is a tough decision, but we have to leave him alone. And the doctor is like, or, or the, the the combat medic is like, no, and he just runs out. He gets shot. Yeah. Um. So now there's two guys down, and they're like, okay, no, that's and and cowboy cannot control anyone. He's he's like the substitute teacher. He's like, guys, <laughs> yes. stop, guys. Guys, stop it. Please stop. Your name is not huge ass. I know that's not I know that's not your name. Sit down. Stop it. Everybody stop. Okay, that's it. You're you're going back to the first grade. You know, he busts everybody back to the first grade. Um and he's just, Are you spinning are you spinning bitballs at me? Yeah. Stop it. Stop guys. I went to, I went to Cornell, goddammit. He's he's super upset. No one's listening to him. Animal Mother, the uh, You Adam went Baldwin to Cornhole? <laughs> 
Animal Mother just goes, screw this, and he takes off. Yeah. And so they're like, okay, that's it, fine. And they kind of find the areas where they're all right. They get to this one kind of, all the buildings around them have been kind of blown up, and they're kind of like husks, and it's all rubbly, and there's holes everywhere in all the buildings and stuff. Uh, Cowboy gets shot through one of the holes while they're trying yep. to move up, yep. and um, he dies. So now they're down three guys. They all rush the building. They find the sniper, and it's just some young uh, Vietnamese woman. They shoot her, but they don't kill her, and then they all surround her, and they're like, let's just leave her. Matthew Modine says, no, we can't just leave her like this. And he says, okay, well, fine. If you're such a tough guy, why don't you go ahead and shoot her? And he does, and then they sing the Mickey Mouse March, and uh, the movie ends. <laughs> Let's cut yeah. to a, a great close where it smash. It doesn't smash cut, but it cuts to black. a black screen with painted black by the stones, and uh, yeah, um, there's there's your credits. I of course mean the Rolling Stones, not the Mighty Mighty Boss Stones. I know there's usually some confusion with that, and uh, and there you go. There's Full Metal Jacket. Pretty concise. Pretty. I mean. Yeah, not a lot. To, I mean, it's a two-hour movie, so I mean, there's so yeah. many more things we could have got into. Like, um, do you know that a thousand-yard stare is not that far? <laughs> okay, that's great. I don't deal with it's, yards. It's, it's half a mile. I looked this up, Greg. This is what I did. Okay, I'm glad. I'm glad we, we can do something to make this exciting because <laughs> yes. this is a pretty lackluster episode. So, so a thousand yards. Wait, you what? Did they mean yard the the three foot yard, or do they mean like a thousand backyards? Oh, you know, they didn't clarify. Like it, it's a thousand, because a backyard can be real big, depending well, on where you live. Here, Here's the fact, and I'll give you this. So a thousand yards right. is, is actually half a mile, okay? Now, according to several studies, the actual human eye, unassisted, could potentially pick up a flicker of light in pure darkness up to 40 miles away. But that's in a perfect situation. The average, yeah, yeah. The average sight to make a distinctive notation of an object is about two miles. So really, even at a thousand yards, you're really staring at a lot. Like you're, I mean, like yeah. you can pick out leaves on trees. See, I don't really feel like that would be like zoning out. I think that'd be more like, eh, I'm just kind of not bothering to look at what's immediately. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, that term kind of, you know what? When you, when you do the research, that term kind of falls apart. Now, um, I am going to use... A term, and it's only because it is it is what they say in the movie. I did have a question about zombies. <laughs> the band or, or actual zombies? Actual zombies. Okay. And okay. it's because of this. At one point, one of the guys says, oh, yeah, I've killed him dead. 150 dead gooks killed. To which okay. I said, well, if they're dead and then you've right. killed them, does Ooh. that mean they were zombies at the time? Were the Vietnamese using zombies to attack our troops during the Tet Offensive, which was a holiday, Greg? Man, I never thought of it like that. Neither did I, but I had to find something to think about. <laughs> I I feel like Alex Jones is a way better person to be asked this than me. Um, well, wait a second. No, because he's just going to try and say... sell me zombie juice. It's, okay, that's... Well, I mean, maybe we need zombie juice. I mean, if <laughs> zombies are a thing, I want juice. Okay. I don't want to get I, taken unaware. I I'm, I apologize. I'm Alex Jones, and you're going to buy my brand <laughs> no, new zombie no, no, stop, juice. Stop. No, 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 no. You and me are going to start selling the zombie juice. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'll yeah. cut that up. <laughs> Good. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. No, 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 no. no. I'm don't, Paul, don't and I'm going to sell the go. zombie juice. We'll do some before and afters that look the same, except maybe one that's called no, no, no. treated a little. No, you different um, angles. You got different angles. 
I'm a goddamn sexual Tyrannosaurus now, and I'm all the zombie juice. <laughs> no, that might be copyrighted. We gotta come up. Uh, I'm uh, a sexual raptor man now that I'm on. I'm a zombie juice. <laughs> raptor man. I only go down rivers, but I look damn good, and I kill zombies. I look like I swim upstream ten miles a day. I'm a goddamn sexual raptor man. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, it's probably not copyrighted. <laughs> Wait, sexual Tyrannosaurus, isn't that from, that's from Predator. Oh, yeah, no, it's 100%. That's, yeah, what do you think? I'm writing my own lines here, Paul? I don't know. You convinced me. No, I thought Alex Jones wrote that. I don't know. Oh, Did Alex Zombies. Jones write the film Predator? <laughs> we, he probably did. He probably did. I yeah. Um, yeah. Infowars? Yeah. Infowars. Infowars.com. <laughs> so, now, and then, knowing my last comment, okay, my last comment, knowing that Stanley Kubrick is from Brooklyn. There are, during one of the scenes when the general is asking about the peace sign and the born to kill thing, in the mm-hmm. background, there are two Guido-looking guys in suits. Would they, okay. did they get on set looking for Stanley because he owed them money? Ooh. And they were just like, this guy, this guy, he owes, he owes us a lot of money. What's with the, <laughs> what's with the camera? <laughs> and it's just like a second unit. Uh... Uh, nothing. We are just uh, we are just here to shoot the scene. <laughs> you can stand over there. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I'm gonna go with that story. Okay. That's 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 that's. that's I, I want that to be true. <laughs> I do too. I kind of really want that two, to be true. Now there were two mafiosos. The reason he left Brooklyn just, was because he just, he owed too yeah. much money on the ponies. That's yeah. Well, you got to pay that vig. I mean, you know, <laughs> just, that's the thing. People forget about that. So so that's it. That's that's. Those are my, I mean, I have a couple other notes, but none of them are all that exciting. So I don't know if you had anything, any last minute comments. No, no, so you, maybe yeah, I, that's, that's about I it. Yank the funny out of there. I guess, I guess since, uh, since I went first, I'll, we'll start with you, Paul. Is this film still rad? Man, you know, we talk about rad and not rad and, and is it good? Is it watchable and all that fun stuff? You know, this is a great movie. It's a fantastic movie to watch. It was a little bit longer knowing I had to watch it when other, you know, sometimes when it comes on like HBO or something like that, or I'll just sit and watch it, having to sit down for two hours and watch it. It was a long one. It's great. It's well written. It's well directed. It's well acted. Is it rad? It's not rad. It's not a, it's not an exciting, fun movie that is just like, I can't wait to watch this again. It's, it's, this is why I was worried about doing this movie for me is it's a movie's movie. It's not It's not a popcorn movie. It's not a go-have-fun, kind of fun watch movie like Aliens or or um, or even Predator or something like that. I don't think it falls in that category. I think it's. I think it falls into that esoteric kind of, you know, highfalutin kind of thing. It's a good movie. Fun. Um, I just, I don't call it rad. How about you, Greg? Um, I, I was curious what I was going to think about this movie because you, you and I actually talked about this. We had joked about only doing the first 40 minutes yes, and then not doing the rest of the movie because, um, I have always regarded this as, as a movie with an amazing first half and a kind of crappy second half. I will say in this watch, uh, in this, this, this viewing, the second half is not as bad as I remembered. Um, there's actually some really, there's really some highs to it. Um, like we always say, you could have chopped a lot of it out, but um, I liked it. And is this film rad? This film gets a rad from me. I, I I really dig it. I like it. I I 
I know uh, there's some famous person that once said that there's no such thing as an anti-war film, and uh, I am I am sure that whatever horror this film was supposed to show us, uh, now it's just look how awesome all of this movie is, look right. how cool everything is in it, and it is not. You know, it's not like, oh, we're watching the dehumanization of all of these men and then watching them be terrible people in Vietnam because they've been dehumanized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And literally their job is to go around killing. One of the characters straight up says as much. Yeah. Like, no, I'm just here to kill people. That is all I want to do and that's all I'm going to do. Um, I will say, I forgot how insanely racist this movie is to all races. Well, it's I equal. Being I mean, Ali Ermey says a right lot of, at the beginning. It's he, oh, he doesn't care. It, it's it, I. I was shocked at some of the stuff. I was like, "Wow, this seems like needlessly racist." But I guess that's supposed to be saying how racist everybody was back then. I don't know. But anyway, um, this is this is I. I agree with you. This is definitely sort of a a higher brow movie. Uh, this still is not my favorite Vietnam War movie, which which were kind of popular to be made. Uh, kind of throughout the uh late 70s through the 80s where you kind of had you know apocalypse now which is probably the best one that was ever made although it's not really a vietnam movie uh platoon. and then you probably platoon yep. you know and hamburger hill and, and a whole whole host of other ones but full battle jacket's definitely up there yep. um it's definitely great i definitely give it a rad if only for the first 40 minutes uh you should definitely do yourself a favor and check it out since it's on netflix if you've never seen it um I'll, i will tag that and say the second half of this movie i you know i, I never really I never got why they were, why the two halves were so different. It almost felt like he wrote two scripts and put them together. But especially in this second, in this viewing here, I really did like the second half a lot more. Um, I kind of got what he was trying to do with it this time more than yeah. other viewings, where it's like here's these kids becoming who they are, and then it's just this is what life is like in the Vietnam War. It, it's right. like you said. It's not about a particular battle. It's not about a particular tragedy or thing that happens. It's just, nope, this is just right. kind of what happened. So I'm totally with you on that um, as far as the second half goes. It was much, much better this viewing than it has been uh, most of the other ones. Um, you know, time, you know, a little maturity there comes yeah. in. So that's it, I guess, for for Full Metal Jacket. Um, we, we, of course, we thank... We are thanking more than one person now? Well, let's go ahead and say, Bibbs, you're the best, because you are, you're great, we love you. Number one, you, you, in our hearts and our minds. Us. But yeah, that's right, we, um, I checked Patreon, which, uh, this is gonna give you some kind of, uh, some, uh, little behind the scenes for how often I've been checking Patreon while we've been off. Now that we're on, I've been checking it a lot more. Uh, we have Terse Tale has, uh, not only, uh, uh given us uh, some money to watch Young Guns and Young Guns 2, He's also given us a uh, $5 a month on Patreon, and so you get a shout-out every episode, sir. So uh, we want to say thank you, and you can look forward to hearing your name every episode. Sweet. So thank you very much for that, guys. You can, of course, go to uh, thiswasrad.com. Uh, I'm sorry. Podbean.com slash thiswasrad. Yes. Um, and you can Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're and we're on Patreon, patreon.com slash this was rad. All that fun uh, stuff. There's all sorts of fun, weird stuff that we've got. Um, you know, you can just, you know, for as little as a dollar a month, you can give us, you know, just for that. 
um, all the way up to, hey, do you want to make us watch a movie that is not streaming? Well, you can give us 20 bucks, and that'll pretty much buy two copies of the movie at, off Amazon for, for Paul and I. Yes. And, uh, and we'll do that. Uh, you can commission Paul and I to do audio commentary for a movie. Uh, that's yes. like 30 bucks. And uh, there's all sorts of other stuff. In fact, um, and definitely keep watching because Paul and I uh, were talking before we started recording. We are going to kind of uh, give this a little bit of a makeover. Uh, we had we had talked about uh, it's, it's about time for us to upgrade some of our equipment. And we actually want to make some actual goals. And uh, so definitely, definitely pay attention to Patreon because we're going to be uh, going to have some things coming relatively soon there. Absolutely. So uh, that's about it. Um, and, uh, we'll come back, uh, well, we'll be definitely back on, uh, week to week again. So we have lots more episodes coming up. Uh, we have a small list of stuff that's still, uh, available on Netflix and, or Amazon. And then, uh, I think we'll get to Young Guns as soon as we can. There's a, I'm going to, I'm going to say it again. I, there's a audio, uh, commentary track that we want to do for a movie that's on Amazon. We got to yes. get to before they take that off. Um, yeah, yeah, we, we definitely do. I think uh, I think we we should be able to bang out at least the first Young Guns by the end of the month. And yes. what I'd like to do is just do just do a double feature, just go Young Guns, Young Guns two, like like back to back. Perfect. We can do that. So maybe maybe uh, maybe squeeze them out at the end of this month, or maybe one end of this month, one beginning of next month, something like that. Absolutely. So we have lots more stuff coming up. Thank you guys for listening. Tell all of your friends. You know, we don't say that enough. Tell everybody that you know. Post it on Facebook. Tell your friends. If you like us, um, go to Reddit. Um, if you if There's a podcasting that you know of. I know Greg has gone to something awful. There's lots of different pages out there. There's podcast pages. If... Um, if somebody on your Facebook goes, hey, I need a movie, to, you know, I need a podcast, what do you got to listen to? Throw us up there. We would super appreciate uh, appreciate that so we can um, kind of have to do some rebuilding here after our little hiatus. And you loyal listeners are the ones that can help us do that. So thank you very much for listening, as always. Uh, I'm all set. You all set there, Greg? Until next time. I'm Paul. I'm Greg. Bye-bye. This has been a Podtron Network production. For more of this show and others like it, find Podtron on Twitter at Podtron Network and search Podtron Network on Facebook.